I'll continue our series here on a clean heart as we discuss the issues of sexuality and trying to come to a biblical understanding of that. In the first couple of weeks, we, we focused upon the creation of sexuality, that we, how important it is for us to see uh, what God created, why he created it that way, the power of it, the beauty of it, the glory of it, uh, for us to know what we should be aiming at, what, what God intended is critical, because what we're going to see today as we begin to look is that sin has entered into the picture and has changed that in dramatic ways. Every age has been filled with sinners. It has been filled with sin. Uh, every generation of believers has faced the challenges of passing sound doctrine on and culture to our children in the midst of this crazy circus. Therefore, much of what I have to say about the perversion of sexuality is universal in nature. It extends to the past as well as to future generations. To be clear, I am not saying, in what I have to say today, I'm not saying that, our, that all of our situation is unique in every way, perhaps not even in most ways, Nevertheless, our challenges are our challenges, and if we assume that we face exactly uh, the same problems that our parents faced, then we will be woefully behind the curve, and the results will be disastrous. There's a temptation to think, well, this is how it was when I was a teenager or when I was a kid, or, uh, and to assume that things are exactly the same, and they're not. Luther said, if I declare with the loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of God's truth except that one little bit that which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, then I am not confessing Christ, no matter how boldly I may be confessing Christ. For the soldier to be steady on the battlefield besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that single point. And so the pressure is on for us to capitulate now on sexual issues. There are all kinds of pressures for us to capitulate on the Bible, on any number of social issues. It's become old-fashioned to believe the Bible or to take the Bible as uh, literally true. Uh, we, we have been taught and been told that at the very least it's a wax nose. It's something that can be shaped. Uh, we need to get, get past all those old-fashioned notions. If you don't agree with the current culture's view of sexuality, then, of course, you are, uh, you are a hater. You hate people. How dare you disagree with me and what I want and what we all say is okay, and you're the one that's the outlier, and therefore you must hate people. And of course, the truth is not hateful. Uh, that's just a, a cover. That's a smoke screen. That's an attempt to change the subject the Apostle Peter warns us not to be intimidated by unbelievers. That's one of the tactics that they use, is to, to turn it around and make you the problem instead of their sin the problem. And he writes, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready 
to make a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed or blush. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. We need to stop being ashamed of the Word of God. We take a stand on it, and if people, you know, some people are going to like it, some people are not. That's what Paul told Timothy. You be instant in season and out of season. Sometimes they're going to hear you. Sometimes they're not going to hear you. But the Word of God abides forever. It's true regardless of how people respond to it. And so I th- let me just say then, I think it would be nearly impossible for me to overstate how serious the threat of sexual corruption is to you and to your family. It would be impossible, I think, for me to overstate that. The nature of this class is such that I cannot and should not get into the graphic nature of that threat, but I do hope to deal with it in a principled way, and I expect you as adults to make further application and give thought to this uh, for your families. This threat is both a physical threat as well as a spiritual threat. It is obviously a threat to those outside the church, but I am convinced that the threat level is not a whole lot less for most of you. The church should be a lifeboat in the ocean of the world, but unfortunately the boat seems to be taking on water fast. The world seems to be seeping in. Screw tape and wormwood are working overtime to infiltrate your world. And if they can't get you, they are very happy to capture your children. Because if they can capture your children, then they have your grandchildren too. If there's a weak spot in your wall, then it will be exploited and it will be breached. We'll say more about what your responsibilities are here probably next week But let's just say that if wherever the weak spots are, you can ignore them, you can can act like they don't exist, but if they're there, they will be exploited and breached. You could especially be vulnerable simply because you might presume that you have already done what you need to do. It could happen to your children. Or excuse me, you, you might think it couldn't happen to your children. They're unaware of such things, right? They're good children. You have them in a good church. You're giving a, a good Christian education. You might homeschool. You might even have some controls on their electronic devices. And I could go on and on. But it only takes one weak spot in the system. Only one issue there. One moment for the most innocent child or teenager to be sucked into this black hole. And it is a black hole. It is a powerful, powerful thing. There are many forces outside the family that seek to shape your family. Any void will be filled. You might leave them alone. The world will not leave them alone. Now, if you have small children... The world is going to demand that they grow up. It, would, it will demand their sexualization and their independence from you. 
Ironically, as teens, the world will demand that they embrace immaturity and foolishness. It is the nature of the child to be shaped and molded. Therefore, our theology matters. Every idea has consequences. That is an inescapable concept. And do not be conformed to this world. How many times we hear a verse like this? And we hear it, we're familiar with it, but do you ever let it soak in? Have you ever stopped to think what that means, to not be conformed to this world? And the contrast here, but, is to, be, but to be transformed, changed, how? By the renewing of your mind. That's not magic. That's not something that falls out of heaven into your head. That is a self-conscious thing that we do. I have to think different. I have to study. I have to give this some actual thought. I have to find out what God's Word says. I have to give up some of my old ways of thinking about this and put in their place some new ways of thinking about this. This is radical. This is not a minor assertion that Paul's making in the book of Romans, but it is a fundamental assertion that must be true of every follower of Jesus. The church is an outpost of the kingdom of God, and your home is to be an outpost of the church. Therefore, establishing a distinctively Christian culture in your home is essential if we're going to see the broader culture changed. It has to start at your house. It's not gonna, if you're waiting for the culture to get better first, you're going to be waiting for a long time. It has to start with us. Television and Internet, and I am not uh, what's called a Luddite. I'm not opposed to technology, okay? But I am opposed to the foolish use of technology, and I'm opposed to the mindless use of technology, and, oh, I don't see anything wrong with that use of technology. If you can't, if you can't put your finger on the dangers of the technology, you shouldn't be using it at all. If you don't know where the danger points are, and if you can't identify them, then get rid of them. Because television and Internet generally are alien cultures far removed from a biblical culture. It is much more than the sex and violence. Those are symptoms of much deeper problems that many parents are oblivious to. It's much more subtle in some cases and much more explicit in others. However, reaction to an unbelieving culture is not the same thing as us building a biblical culture. It will take far more than pulling out of public schools. Far more, far more uh, uh, our parental involvement must be far more active and far more constant. Parental abdication is possible anywhere even in homeschooling, even in, if you've got your kids in a Christian school, even if you're a teacher at the Christian school. You can abdicate anywhere. Fathers must lead in the establishment of this biblical culture and mothers must buy in. It's the mission and the submission. To do what? To raise godly children. That's the goal, period. We do have a crisis, including a sexual crisis, that is growing and it shows no immediate signs of getting better. Postmodernism is beginning its crescendo, which is its last act of desperation. 
the, uh, the, recur the current grotesque displays of pop singers and athletes are simply the dying gasp of a dying culture. As the Proverbs declare all, uh, regarding wisdom, all those who hate me love death. Modernism's post-supernatural world of scientific promise has filled our world with gadgets and breaking, and at the same time, breaking its promise of human utopia. Isn't it cool that we got the new iPhone coming out in October? I'm excited about it. I like gadgets. I like these things. But if you don't know where the dangers are, they promise way more than they can deliver, and they certainly offer all kinds of threats that we uh, easily go past because everybody has them, right? It's ubiquitous. And since everybody has it, it must be okay. If everybody has it, it couldn't be that bad the whole time the culture is crumbling and shaking and its foundations are being forgotten. We are left with a frenetically paced world searching for meaning in a meaningless universe. They said we came from nothing and we're going to nothing. Well, if that's true, if your origin is from nothing and it's going to nothing, then what's the in-between all about? The motto of the postmodern world is simply this, who's to say? And the answer is, everyone is to say. You're to say. I'm to say. Everybody gets to say. But the postmodern world is as old as the Garden of Eden. As we read in the book of Judges, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So too we have no king. We have no ultimate authority. Anything goes and we dare not object. You do what you want and I'll do what I want. That's the pact that we currently have in our culture. You leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. I'll do my thing and you do your thing. And we should never, ever pass any judgment on anybody, right? However, there are a few irrational and arbitrary rules that linger in our culture. I am thankful for these inconsistencies. In our overly sexualized culture, which contends strongly for individual sexual liberty and expressions and individual liberty and expressions and promotes the sexualization of children in their dress, in their performances. In that culture, we still remain outraged over pedophilia, people being sexually attracted to children. There's a sort of moral schizophrenia that lingers. Feed the beast and then act outraged when the beast wants to eat again. The postmodern consequences are becoming more and more apparent. Now, most of us are familiar with John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress, and in this allegory, he describes an ancient place. Uh, you remember the character Christian is on his way to the celestial city, and he, he takes various, goes to different places, and one of those places he comes to is a place called Vanity Fair. Then I saw in my dream that when they had come out of the wilderness, they immediately saw a town before them, and the name of that town is Vanity. And at the town there is a fair kept called Vanity Fair, and it's kept there all year long. Therefore, at this fair, all such merchandise 
sold. Uh, there are such all, all such merchandise sold as houses, lands, trades, places, honors, preferments, titles, countries, kingdoms, lust, pleasures, and delights of all sorts, as whores, bawds, wives, husbands, children, masters, servants, wives, blood, bodies, souls, silver, gold, pearls, precious stones, and whatnot. And moreover, at this fair, there are at all times to be seen juggling, cheats, games, plays, fools, apes, knaves, and rogues, and that of every kind, here are to be seen also, and that for nothing, thefts, murders, adulteries, false swearers, and that of a blood-red color. Well, that fair continues to operate in our day. It has some old, and it has some new attractions, and it has some new freak shows. But it still has the same old purpose, to divert our attention away from the true journey to the celestial city. I've already pointed out how powerful sexuality is. There in the first chapter of the Bible, God not only gives man and woman the task of subduing the earth, he also gives them the most powerful tool that they will need to accomplish that task. Their maleness and their femaleness are essential for several reasons. First, the two, that is, the husband and the wife, shall become one flesh, united in covenant and purpose. Second, this is what enables them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We can simply look. You don't have to be a genius to look at the biology of the matter. It takes a man and a woman to make a child in order to be fruitful and multiply. That's just the way God made us. It's the natural use of the man and the woman. Third, they are called not only to fill the earth, but to fill it with godly offspring, which of course will require a godly family. Not just any family. This is not a litter of puppies. These are people made in the image of God that are called to fill the earth with godly offspring. Sex is the most powerful tool for accomplishing the mission that God has called us to. It is the most powerful tool. We're talking about conquering the earth with this to the glory of God. Remember we said last week, this is what sexuality is about, to be used to the glory of God. And one of the main ways we glorify God is filling the earth with more godly people to glorify God and to subdue the earth, to rule over the earth. That's our calling. And when we start messing with that, which Adam and Eve did, they wanted to do things their way. They wanted to be as God, to determine good and evil for themselves. I don't see anything wrong with that. That's kind of the mantra of every sinner. I don't see anything wrong with what God says don't do that. I don't see anything wrong with it. I don't like God's definitions. I don't like God's limits. I don't like his prescriptions. I want my own. I want to redefine myself, I want to redefine the world, I want to redefine marriage, I want to redefine sexuality, I want to do all that for myself. And so as sin sin entered into the world, every aspect of mankind was dramatically altered, including their sexuality. But it remained no less powerful. It still 
was this incredibly powerful force, but now it becomes a destructive force. A chainsaw is powerful for, powerful for cutting firewood. But a chainsaw in the hands of an eight-year-old running through the house is no less powerful, but it is a whole lot more destructive. The, effects of, the effect of the corruption of sexuality is seen all the time in every place. It's seen in individuals, it's seen in families, in societies, uh, in churches, and they suffer in a host of ways. This is always the result of man doing things his own way. Wisdom says in Proverbs, again, all those who hate me love death, and in Proverbs 13:15, the way of the transgressor is hard. You want to do it your way? Go for it. See what happens. The world loves to show you the glamorous side, but they never want to show you the dark side. In the Garden of Eden, Satan's goal was to kill Adam and Eve. His approach was to set before them an attractive lie, a temptation. He had something to sell them, and they were gullible. The devil is always seeking someone to devour. He wants to kill your children, too. He wants to steal them from you and from God. And so the world, the flesh, and the devil work in concert 24-7. They are clever salesmen, strangers with candy, eye candy. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's important for us all to remember that everyone is trying to sell us something all the time. Everyone is trying to sell us something all the time. Some of what's being sold is good and some of it isn't. But that doesn't alter the inescapable fact that the world is full of salesmen. When your three-year-old is racing down the cereal aisle at the grocery store and going for the eye-level box of tricks, which of course are for kids, the colorful box and the toy inside are not accidents of nature. He's buying, and he doesn't even know that anyone has sold him anything. Kellogg knows what they're doing, even if he doesn't. The devil knows how the sales business works, including the po how powerful impulse items are and how to close the sale. Now, hopefully, you're watching your three-year-old at the grocery store, monitoring his cereal purchases and making sh no one, sure that no one snatches your three-year-old while you're at the grocery store, right? But the same diligence needs to be enacted for teenagers and others. We all need some monitoring, and anyone can be snatched. Guarding them at age three is not enough if you're not going to guard them at age 13 and 16. Now, it takes real wisdom and grace to pull this off and not turn your family into a police state. Loving the right things and training your children to love the right things is the objective. Now, the Bible, as we pointed out, is not a G-rated book. It's not even a PG-rated book. It is rated R and then some. One of the problems we face in maintaining purity 
and perspective in the world as it actually is. That, or that is the problem. How do you maintain purity looking at the world in this corrupt state? We must recognize the corruptions that do exist, and the Bible does not shy away from talking about many of these things. We live in a world that in many ways can be described as a cesspool. The question is, how did it get this way? Of course, it began with sin entering the world, and then after 6,000 plus years of adding to the waste, it has gotten deeper and deeper, and it has compounded and multiplied. Now, I want to just remind you as we're talking about this, of what was said the first two weeks. But here's the problem. We hear this, and all of a sudden we recoil because this is ugly. And, and we think this is, this is dirty, and it is. But sex and sexuality are not dirty. God made them beautiful. He made them lovely. He made them to be used for his glory. He made them to fill the earth. The most powerful tool we were given to be delighted in, to be, be thankful for. It's a gift. But if you take the gift and then use it in every way possible to bring about destruction, all in pursuit of your own happiness, alleged pursuit of happiness, then we get what's going on and has been going on since the fall. In the midst of this corrupt world, we also see things that are good, true, and beautiful. And the world often lacks the discernment to know the difference. As Isaiah warns, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So what is a fair assessment of the world and us? What are the things that feed both the impure and the pure? If we can identify those things, then we know that if we do more of one and less of the other, that we're going to see changes take place in one direction or another. Jude calls, uh, talks about adding to our virtue... How do we add to the virtue that God calls us to? How do we take that which is defiled and impure and make it clean? That's going to be the challenge for us that we'll get to in this series. So we have this mess, and we're going to talk further about this mess and some of its manifestations next week uh, and get the bigger picture of this. But let me say this. I am surprised as a pastor by how many people are shocked when they find out that their children are being exposed to the sexual corruption of this world. Let me say that again. I am shocked at how many people are shocked <laughs> that their children have been exposed to sexual corruption of the world. You should assume that if they haven't been, they will be very shortly because the attempt to expose them is constant, perpetual. It's, it never lets up. And in this world, your ability to guard that becomes more and more difficult. I'm going to jump ahead a bit. I'm going to say more about this, this next week 
let me just say, if you say, well, what am I to do about this? And the answer is real simple. It's not easy, but it is simple. The answer is, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. That's how critical this is. Parents think, thought, thought they had done what they needed to do, but there is a certain naivete in parents, some parents, that frequently and unfortunately quite dramatically shows up in their family when they should have been way more aggressive and communicative than they were. Now we're trying to clean up a mess. And so what's critical here is that we set forth the beauty part of this, not just the ugly side of this. There are two sides to this subject. And when one side, when, when we, the irony is we don't want to talk about the beauty side because somehow we're not able to make the distinction, and we must, we must, we must make the distinction. One thing is going to, we are attracted to beautiful things and repulsed by ugly things. So what the world does is it takes an ugly thing and tries to make it beautiful. That's what Hollywood's mostly about. We're going to take some of the cruddiest people that we can find and, and find some that are really easy on the eyes, and we're going to dress them up, and we're going to put them out there, and they're going to have a lot of talent, and they can sing and dance and act and uh, do wonderful things. That's all part of the show. And then we're going to find out about their personal lives and find out anything goes and how, how glamorous that is. You know, right, that's a lie. You do know that, don't you? You know we don't get to see the backside of that very often, or if we do, it's kind of in the, in the process of whoever that is that just crashed and burned, we just kind of toss them on the trash heap and there are ten more to step in and take their place. Oh, that's old news. Yeah, we're done with her. She's fat now. She's old. She's 30. Next. And there's a whole horde of them because they've been being groomed all these years to step into the place. And they don't tell you the rest of the story. And they don't want you to know the rest of the story. That's part of the gig. That's part of how this works. That's part of how Vanity Fair works, is to give you the illusion that this is what's cool, and this is what's fun, and this is what gives you happiness. God tells you the truth. He says, oh, the truth hurts. I don't really want to hear that. You mean I have to deny myself? I can't just do what I want to do when I want to do it. I have to actually deny myself and put other people ahead of me and, and follow Jesus and do what he says. I have to be holy and godly, and yeah, people are going to think that I'm a goody-goody, that I'm naive, and that I'm, you know, somehow I, I, just, I won't fit in with the world. Well, you've got a choice to make. You do. We all do. Ideas have consequences. When it comes to sexuality, our world has some really bad ideas. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the warnings. We thank you for the truth. We thank you that you're willing to tell us even things we don't particularly want to hear. And Lord, we acknowledge that our own ideas have gotten us into trouble over and over and over. And we see a world full of ideas that are destroying lives. Help us, Lord, as Christian parents to be faithful 
in our, and be diligent in our calling to love our children and to prepare them for life and to prepare them for a faithful life with you. To remember that indeed we are to fill the earth with godly children and uh, to not let up in that labor. Give us wisdom. Give us grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.